The nonprofit MBA purpose is to provide new business insights and fresh creative ideas for executive directors and their teams that will help them improve their organization. Here is your host, Stephen Holastic. Welcome, everyone, and good morning. My name is Stephen Holastic. I'm co-founder and managing partner of Financing Solutions. Financing Solutions is the leading provider in the United States of lines of credit to small nonprofits. Our line of credit program is easy, inexpensive, and costs nothing until used, making it a great cash backup plan for your nonprofit. If you'd like to learn more about the program, please visit us at nonprofitmbapodcast.com. And if you decide to apply today, we will even give you a $250 credit on file that you can use if you decide to use your line of credit. Or feel free to give us a call at 862-207-4118. Just remember the time to set up your line of credit is today, not when the emergency actually comes up. And since the line of credit doesn't cost anything when it's not being used, it's a good thing to get in as a safety net. I would also let our listeners know that the nonprofit uh, line of credit is extremely popular. It's like something that was definitely needed in the marketplace. You know, we've been in business for over 12 years and, and, that, and you know, I think 80% of our clients are, are small nonprofits. So it, it just makes a lot of sense, especially when you got to make payroll or when you have a, a program that has to continue in, you know, it's intended to be a short term solution, really. And that's what nonprofits need. Today, I'm very excited to be speaking with Evelyn Lemley from Kairos Prison Ministry International. Evelyn is the CEO of Kairos uh, Prison Ministry International, where she has been a catalyst for positive change since January of 2013. Evelyn embraces a vision and makes it reality through her sound decision making. She is an inspirational leader, respected for her incredible work ethic and integrity. Under her leadership, the ministry currently serves in more than 500 institutions and communities throughout the world, sharing God's love and forgiveness to those affected by incarceration incarceration evelyn welcome to today's nonprofit mba podcast well thanks Stephen, for having me i look forward to the discussion yeah you know i was when i was reading your bio before we even got on the air i was excited to speak to you you know over the last two years uh you know i've become more aware of uh, of people who are incarceration and you know Maybe, as you would say, God uh, introduced it to me. Uh, I, uh, I'm a Buddhist, so I, I have a different vi- vision of what God is. But, um, but you know, I'll, I'll give you two stories uh, before we get to today's topic, which is really how to engage, inspire your organization's volunteers. The first one is that my son goes to school at Boston University, and we stayed at a uh, hotel up in Boston called the Liberty Hotel. And I don't know, have you ever been there? No, I don't think I, I've been to Boston, but not to that hotel. I would highly <laughs> recommend it. It's a really beautiful place. Um, but the hotel is um, was originally a prison. And it was uh, in its time, which is in the 1800s, it was a, um, a model for the future because it believed – it was one of the first prisons to believe that um, prisoners, uh, number one – need light every day. So there's, there's uh, windows, like beautiful windows everywhere. And two, they believe that they needed physical fitness every single day in order to uh, re- re- rehabilitate themselves, so to speak. And it was a revolution at the time uh, because prior to that, the, the conditions for prisons were pretty horrible. And, you know, I, when you see this building, it, it is just gorgeous. And, you know, um, and that's the first thing. And then I, I read a, a, a great book um, um, about Brian. I can't think of his last name uh, from the, he started the innocence project and uh, what it was an amazing book that I uh, really made me more aware of how uh, people on death row um, are treated and how uh how many of them are potentially uh, uh, innocent. And uh, so I kind of got introduced to this topic. So tell me a little bit more about what your organization does. Okay. 
Well, um, Kairos basically focuses on uh, three three aspects of uh, groups of people. I'll start there. Men and women that are incarcerated, youth that are incarcerated, and then we also work with the women of the incarcerated, those that's outside that's uh, uh, struggling with their loved ones being inside the prison for for whatever reason and, and, and going through those hardships of that. And so basically what uh, we do is uh, we are a behavior modification fo- focused program. And, and uh, for whatever reason that these individuals have done wrong or even supposedly done wrong, uh, we try to take them through a, a life transforming process of, uh, we call it a weekend, and it, it uh, goes through an event that we take them through a series of talk and interpersonal interactions, our own testimonies and stories of how we've had to deal with struggles and challenges and, and uh, um, bad decisions because we've all had them and, and different things. It's, and, and so we take them through this journey of, of letting them understand how they can change and, and be a different person than maybe who they were that got them in trouble in the first place or in the situations that they were in. And so, and then we we have a, a, a practice of we come back, um, and the, and the way that we come back is then we have what we call um, a continuing ministry where we come back through. We're always encouraging them to be in an accountability group uh, to to continue that journey of of changing and being better. And it's not that you're you're trying to change. You're trying to change from the inside out of who you are and where your heart's focused and what your mind's focused on and, and that you can be a better person, whatever that may mean from your circumstances there, and that you can get through this. And yes, we are a Christian organization, so we focus it on the principles that, that we know uh, from, from the scripture, but it's also based on uh, proven scientific models of behavior modification. Oh, that's great. Are, are the groups facilitated or are they self-run? Uh, uh, well, we have a very structured program that takes mm. us through them, but it's all done by volunteers. So we basically have a group of volunteers that surrounds each adult facility, each youth facility, and then a community focused, uh, it could be a wider regional uh, component for our program for the women outside. And so if we go inside the prison, we call it Kairos Inside. If we go in, in youth facilities, it's called Kairos Torch. And at Kairos Outside is for the women of the incarcerated. For So it's a, a, an organized, structured program. We train our volunteers to conduct the program and to form a team uh, because we believe that community is important in order to help people change. You need others to lift you up. Uh, we weren't made to be just individuals. We were made to be in community and family. And so uh, we, we, we try to focus on that also and take them through that journey of um, of uh, uh, seeing that they can be different, maybe treating them different. And um, a lot of our focus is, is sharing love. Uh, we, we say it's God's love because that's who we are. But from that standpoint is everybody needs to have hope and, and some kind of a, an ability to, to know that they can change and can be different. Now, yeah. a lot of people that's in prison have been put in very oppressive situations before they got there. Um, uh, abuse, abandonment, uh, hardships in life, uh, necessity sometimes. And it, it doesn't justify the behavior at all. But sometimes you have to deal with those issues in order to bring people out of that. So we, we deal with a lot of anger and abandonment issues even in our, in our work. You know, last question before we get to the topic, because I, I think mm-hmm. what you do is very interesting. Through through your travels and through the various institutions that you've been involved with, is there a part of the world that you think is a model for how they treat their um, incarcerated? Well, it's interesting. I would probably have to say some of the European countries probably have a a, a better better conditions. And how they treat them, and they also don't tend to have as long of a sentences. They focus more on the true rehabilitation than they do on the punishment side of things. Um, but uh, I, I don't know of any prison that's pleasant to be in. Uh, yeah. Just frankly, of uh, because you are um, 
controlled and and your decisions are controlled for you, what time you get up, what you eat, when you will eat, when you will exercise and, and things of that. So you truly do lose your freedoms that we so enjoy. Um, so, so from that standpoint, none of it's pleasant, but there are definitely, uh, definitely different models across the world of, of how, um, how the uh, focus on rehabilitation occurs. I don't know of one country that's absolutely better than others. Every, everyone has their, their weaknesses, but certainly there are some European models. And there's even states in the United States that are, are uh, very different than how others are operating, that they're more progressive in how they're working. Hmm. Okay. Good. Well, very interesting. And thank mm-hmm. you for the work that you guys do. I appreciate it. Um, well, thank you. So let's let's get today's topic: is how to engage and inspire organizational uh, organizations volunteers. Uh, you know, a lot of times when I talk to guests, uh, you know, we're trading emails often. I, I usually like the guests to you know propose uh, a topic, and uh, and you you propose this topic. Tell me a little bit about you know why you propose this topic and, uh, you know, uh, how you think it really can help our listeners? Well, most nonprofits engage volunteers. I won't say all, but uh, they have a staff that does, you know, core work and, and, and a lot of nonprofits do engage volunteers. And one, one of the reasons is uh, we, we pick this um, was one, we have so many volunteers, so it's what we focus on every single day is, is our volunteers and how to engage them. But the other one was uh, uh, dealing with COVID and coming out of COVID, it's becoming even more important of how do you keep your volunteers engaged? Because we went to a through a shutdown period, if you will, of the country and the world and, and into a bringing people back engaged and, and um uh, there, there was actually, it was more difficult than I think most of most of us anticipated. And myself talking to other ministries and other other people that run nonprofits, I think everybody dealt a little bit with that, keeping people engaged after a break. Um, some of those people go somewhere else. Some people just stop doing. Um, uh, some people, uh, unfortunately, are, are afraid to do that in a group setting or, or whatever the cases may be that, that have come out of this. So we've just seen this to be such a critical aspect um, coming out of COVID also. So we just thought it might be a, 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 good, a good time to chat about that. And yeah, no, I agree. I agree. I, so tell me, um, so tell me to some of the things that you think your organization does with its volunteers that is like benchmark, like really good, like something that others would look at your organization from the outside and look at what you're doing and say, wow, they're, they're best in class in this. Uh, what, what are some of those things? Well, what, one of the things having worked for other nonprofits in the past that I know a lot, a lot of organizations have attempted or stro- uh, you know, wanted to do, but they really didn't know how to do it, that Kairos does really well, is we are more of a grassroots ground up uh, than a top-down ministry. And what I mean by that is, yes, we have a structured program, and yes, we have guidelines and rules, but by using the local community of volunteers to do the work, um, they really are our, our true hands and feet that are operating. And in doing so, they, they have um, the, uh, the, the ability and the empowerment. They do the fundraising for their local community and they keep the funds local. Um, they recruit to the volunteers. They're themselves. It's not the, the home office doing all the work for them. And so we're truly engaging them from the grassroots to do the work and quote unquote, own the concept. And, and so what it does is it pulls them out, but not only in, in uh, time, it pulls them up in with their heart because they, they uh, are truly taking ownership of what's going to happen there at that local community. So not only are they conducting the program, they're fundraising, they're recruiting, and there's so many ministries that would love to have that grassroots structure. So we don't have the big infrastructure of a huge recru- uh, recruiting staff or a huge fundraising staff because we have our whole, whole army of volunteers involved in all of those practices each and every day. 
And I think that is, is uh, one of the main differences in what we, we were able to accomplish. Tell, tell me about the training process that you have that a volunteer would go through. Um, I'm assuming that the volunteer is, uh, are most of those volunteers people who are facilitating the meetings with the, uh, with the incarcerated? Um, yes, they're facilitating the, the uh, we would train on how to uh, um, actually conduct our program. We uh, train leaders on how to be the leader of the program because we're pulling teams of people together to go into the facilities and to work uh, with, with those. So we train leaders, we train the team themselves, and, and uh, that leader usually is the one training. Um, we believe in team formation and pulling to get people together so they understand their roles, and we do that. We have a, a leadership body for each community, and we do training there. Um, and then we have state leadership because each state runs a little bit differently because we're working with state and federal entities when, as we operate. So we have a, a, a team there. So everything that we do is focused. One of our core objective is always training. Um, we have formalized training where we have bring people together and, and we have, uh, uh, trained trainers that is, is, uh, doing that work. And then we have the more informal where we've trained people and then they're going back and doing it. Um, and, and we integrate those very purposefully into our training and, and, uh, we ensure that our trainers are retrained every year in some way, shape. Informed. So that is critical to the volunteer success. Tell me about uh, like how long ago do you think the training program really kind of started kicking off? Like, you know, when, when you really saw that you were really formalizing it, how long ago was that? Um, there's a couple of the aspects that I would say has always been formalized. We're, we're 46 years old, and I would say probably 30 years ago, there's a core piece, which was the leader's training of bringing the group together. That was more formalized. But I'd actually say in the last nine years, we've really taken some, some major steps in, in orchestrating more training around it. And, and frankly, COVID enabled us to even come up with different ways to do some of the training. It could be Zoom and different things for the shorter trainings. Longer trainings still need to be in person. Um, and, and even some recorded trainings. So we were able to integrate multiple different uh, tools now. And we probably started that about nine years ago where we were using more formats, more tools, uh, more different structures based on the type of training, the need of the training, and the outcome you were looking for. Is there a, so let's say you have someone who says, I want to be a volunteer, I want to be a trainer, mm -hmm. right? And there's something not right with that person. There's, they're just, you know, you really don't want to put them out there. There's something, it's not right. Have you had scenarios like that? And what do you do? Well, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I think probably everyone has had scenarios like that at different times. Maybe they, maybe they weren't a right fit or maybe they had their own agenda. That's how we tend to, to call it. Of They didn't really want to do the work that we're doing. They wanted to get access in order to do their own thing or something. Um, a lot of times we'll, we'll just have candid conversations with them and mm. say, well, this is, this is what you're joining. You know, you're, you're joining us and this is what we do. And if that's not how you want to do, then this may not be the place for you. Sometimes you just have to have that good old fashioned conversation. Yeah. Uh, truth is, is gold, if you, if you will. That's you just be truthful with people and have a conversation. It's not a good or a bad. It may just not be the right fit. Um, there's other times when we have people that they may not be the right person to be maybe upfront leading, but they certainly have plenty of, of, of ability to, to be the leader. And, and a lot of times people don't want to be up and be a leader. So we have lots of different volunteer realms of, of positions and, and roles and things from, uh, um, you know, we, we, we tend to, uh, uh, to try to take food in, for example. So, so they may be better off in the kitchen helping there or helping serve in that capacity or helping us gather um, 
uh, some of our resources together that we need, then they may be literally sitting at the table, if, if you will. So um, what we try to do is we try to make sure that we have lot, lots of different types of volunteer roles so that everyone that is interested and, and that seems to be qualified has a role that they can play in and using their gifts to serve because we, we need everybody involved in different ways. So the, yeah, the, the, so the infrastructure that you have, you have the, the worker bees, let's call them the ones that are on the front line, regardless of if they're working in the kitchen or wherever, then you have, do you have another level above that, which is like the manager who's working over, looking over everyone. And then you, do you have like a regional manager and then a training staff? How, how does the structure all work out for your organization as far as volunteers go? Right. We, we do have a, a local community that, that surrounds, like, like I said, each correctional facility and in, in, in the community for the, for the women. And so that group, we have a, a, a group of people then that have positions that is the leadership positions around that community. And they're actually elected by the body of volunteers. Wow. So if they say, I, I want to, you know, I want to serve as the chair, or they may recruit someone to serve at the chair, and then the body elects them. So it is a self-controlled, uh, uh, like I said, ground up yeah. representation. Then we have uh, a state leadership. We've, we're done by state because each state's, uh, our structure is needed by state because we're working with Department of Corrections, which are state-run. So uh, we need that focus on each state. So then we have elected officials that run it on a state level that all of those local communities report to the state. And then the state reports into the national. So ah. all of those positions, both in leadership and in the management in our field, is not only grounds up, but it's also all volunteer. And, and then um, paid staff that you have at the higher level? Um, is there like a director of volunteer director of volunteers at the board office? Um, no, uh, at, at the office, we, we have myself as the CEO and we have what we call program coordinators. So we have people that focus on the, the, uh, covers inside program, the covers torch, the youth program and the women's program. So we were more specialist in, in our programs. And uh, then we have some uh, administrative support. We only have 11 staff uh, that supports this ministry because we use the volunteers so strategically in the operations and the hands and feet and, and, and that. So we're providing the tools and the support and the interaction. Um, and so we, we do have trainers, though, that we train from the office. But again, those are all volunteers so that once we get someone to become a trainer, they've been pro uh, professionally trained and then they are out doing the training, whether it's via Zoom or in person for us. And so we move the trainers around and we pay for that from the office so that it's uh, we're, we're, we're spreading that around the country and doing the training as we need it. How, about how many volunteers are there? Roughly 30,000. Holy cow. That's great. Good for you. What right. a great what a great organization. So eleven staff with thirty thousand people out that are doing the work from a grassroots standpoint. It's a it's a pretty amazing structure that I've really you don't see much of that type of a structure out there. When when did it start to explode? Like when did you go from like a hundred to you know to a lot? Like when was the big time period? Right. Uh, well, the ministry, I'll go back just a little bit. The ministry started in 1976 with the, the founders basically just wanted to do one. You know, that was their dream. And then it sort of started taking hold and it was successful. So others started calling and saying, would you come here and do this? And so they had to start gathering people up to do it. And so it, it sort of grew into itself. And then they structured it a little bit more a few years later because they realized that there was a, a whole 
opportunity here uh, to, to turn this into a much broader ministry than what they had ever dreamed when they started. And so um, that's when a little bit of the structure started. And once that structure got placed, of that we were going to place volunteers around each of the communities, so to speak, of that uh, group of local people that sort of could own it and operate it, um, then, then uh, it started growing pretty dramatically in, in the, the, the late, uh, excuse me, the, yeah, the late 80s was when the big growth curve. And then here in the um, uh, 2013 or so past, we've, we've also added another probably 30 or 40 percent to the ministry. So it continues to grow. Um, and has opportunities internationally and everywhere. Our, our, our number one resource is our volunteers and our number one need are volunteers. So we can only grow as fast as we can get the volunteers to do the work. Yeah, and your staff is so small, 11 people. I guess you, you personally might get, get involved in a, a lot of situations uh, that are not going well and maybe, uh, you know, I... I Sure. Something that's a PR nightmare, I would say. Something like that. Is that is that fair to say? Yes, yes. And and all of our state leaders report to me. So so we're very very engaged in what's going on and supportive. And and our role again is to support them and help give the tools and the advice that they need to to operate. Nor, normally. Uh, you know, when a situation occurs, we've we've normally dealt with it somewhere else. So, you know, we've learned some things. And so the national office is really there for that support and, and so more of a continuity uh, understanding across the board of what we're dealing with. So, like, if I'm a listener right now and uh, – Listen, I, uh, I'm gonna let me just try to make sure I t- articulate this right. There, there's a lot of um, the volunteers that you're bringing on. There's such a big. They're getting a lot out of it. There's yes. there's a lot of um, they really there's a big mission and purpose under your mission, right? Not only is it for God, not only is it to help people who have been um, forgotten about, uh, there's a lot of purpose there, right? Yes. And so, you know, I can see where it just exploded because people want to give back. They want to uh, sh- uh, live the word of the Bible and of God and those type of things. Not everybody has that mission. Right. right. Now, I don't mean like that mission you're talking about. Not everybody has volunteers that have that incredible purpose. Right. So what would you advise to them to say someone says, let, let, I'm just thinking of a scenario. Someone says, you know, I'd love to have a whole bunch of the different volunteers through all these different locations that were fundraiser expert fundraiser experts. You know, so let me follow your model. And right. use uh, volunteers to do fundraising, which is not always the funnest thing in the world. You have right. to have special people to do it, right? Uh, extroverts often. They have to kind of really be passionate about the mission. It, there's, there's a lot of what ifs. But is there any advice that you would give to our listeners to say, if you're going to really start using your volunteers or really going after volunteers, this is what I would recommend? Well, I think I think you hit it very well there, Stephen. Of uh, they have to have purpose. If you can't articulate your purpose and you don't have a passion about what you're doing, it's very hard to raise funds. No matter what level you're at, introvert, extrovert, volunteer, paid staff, whatever it is. I'm I've been a professional fundraiser in my past, and if you don't believe in what you're doing. It, it, it comes across to, to people because you're asking people to join in and the way you're asking people to join in is through giving. Um, so a passion about what you do and an understanding of, of how it impacts others is critical no matter what you're trying to do, whether it's fundraising or the feet on the ground or, 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 or any of that as a volunteer organization. And so my advice is if you don't clearly, if you cannot clearly articulate what it is you're trying to accomplish, 
and you can't clearly articulate what your impact is, then I would spend some time on that before I ever took the endeavor to do it. Because yeah. if you can't do that, you can't bring the people in to do it. Yeah, I think the number one thing for a nonprofit is you have to constantly be working on your purpose and culture, purpose Absolutely. and culture. Purpose. I think everything else falls in place when you are doing an incredible job of disseminating what your purpose is and what your culture is. And I think the idea is, you, you, you know, organizations start, they, you know, have a purpose and then they kind of, you know, okay, put it in a mission statement and a purpose statement, and then they kind of forget about it. And then yeah. they get into the day-to-day thing. And I think, I think it needs to be the reverse. I think you have to just every day you have to be articulating and sending the message to all the people that are either working for you or your volunteers, you know, this is our purpose. This is our culture. You know, you got to be keep, keep on communicating that. Agreed? Agreed. Absolutely. If, if you lose focus of your purpose, of your mission, what, what do you exist for and what are you trying to accomplish? Then, uh, well, it's called mission drift and it usually yeah. will, will destroy the organization. If you, sh- you try, people try to start adding too many different things too quickly or in the wrong way. So it's, oh, well, we tried that and that didn't work. So we'll do this over here and then we'll go over there and they lose their identity. And when you lose your identity um, without a very careful move to that new identity, it usually fails. And yeah, so I can, um, yeah. I'm sorry, go ahead. Finish I was your just going to say, keeping, keeping your main thing, the main thing, what, what are you focused on? Why do you exist in the first place? And being able to clearly articulate that is critical. You, to you success. with, with a volunteer staff of 30,000 plus, right. With all the people, have you been concerned, uh, times that you've lost that not that you've lost that that there are uh that that people have sometimes gotten away from the mission the purpose the culture um you know like a rogue area like you know like (laughs) oh my god they're this is a little they've they're strayed they've strayed from what we've really um because Mm -hmm. your staff is so small um you know, have have you seen that at all? We we have had that before in in different cir- circumstances, and I'm sure we'll have it again. I, I think every organization probably goes through some of that. Of uh, you know, people people think, well, we think it works better if we do this or do that or, or or whatever it may be. We have a lot of situations where there's a there's a lot of freedom to do. Uh, uh, different things, uh, come up with ideas and, and things. And then we have the, the very strong structure of our programs too. And I think clearly knowing the difference of when you have a lot of freedom and when, when there's a structure that needs to happen is, is key. And again, um, that good old fashioned communication goes a long way. When we see somebody drifting out, uh, we try to reach out either through ourselves uh, at the office or through our state leadership and, 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 and pull them back in and explain why it's drifting out. Um, you know, unfortunately, there, there's times when, when you may have to uh, temporarily suspend your activity until you can get things back in order. And that's sometimes just healthy of, uh, you know, getting things back. We never want to lose a part of our ministry. But again, if it's um, going astray, sometimes you have to pull it back in. So we, we just find that we have good old fashioned conversations and, and, and get focused back on the mission of what we're trying to do and why we do things in, in the way that we do it. And, and, and normally you'll pull the people back in. Every once in a while, you'll have someone that then will quit or things. But again, that's why we want a body of people around. So we normally have another group of people who can pick up the the, the open position and keep it going. Is so that's the, sort of our goal. It doesn't always work that perfectly, but that's yeah. our goal. Uh, t- 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 you said nine years ago or 10 years ago, you noticed uh, a big improvement or change. And I thought, I thought you had said that in your training program. Uh, uh, was, am I accurate in saying that that was yes, what you meant? It became, a, it became a very strategic focus for us. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So, so, is the training program very formalized in that it's well documented? You have, 
you know, is, I mean, you have, is it, I hate to say, is it high tech? Is it, you know, good videos? Is it, have you applied technology to it? Is it old school? You know, what, what, where do you think, uh, tell me about your training program. It's our training program is a little bit of all the above. It's it's a little bit of old school and a little bit of technology. A lot of our volunteers tend to be a a little older. Um, You know, I'll call it empty nesters plus would be sort of a a way to say that the people who have time to give and, and uh, uh, you know, not, we have a lot of with young kids too, but our average probably is more of an empty nester. So, um, so our technology, uh, comes into play some. We do have videos that do part of the training and we interwind that, but we we also believe in in the relationship aspect of training and people and engaging people, the ability to ask questions and clarification. So we have formal training of our trainers. We have formal material, uh, formal, uh, we still use PowerPoint. We, but we have videos that's incorporated into it just to give it some diversity. We have hands-on practice where we, we have the people who are being trained to engage in, in what we're teaching so that there's the kinesthetic learning that's incorporated also. Um, so we really do a, a wide variety, uh, both for, um, engagement, but also for people, keeping people in engaged when you're doing long trainings, if it's just someone, a talking head speaking at you the whole time, then it's, it's pretty old. So we try to incorporate a lot of different things, PowerPoints, workbooks, hands-on, um, practice sessions, uh, demonstrations of videos, um, testimonies are woven in and out of people who've done it or experienced it. And so we do try to do all the above. And then you have the personality of the trainers themselves. Yeah. So, you know, like, let's say, and I know it's not evenly distributed. So you have 50 states, you got 30,000 volunteers. That's 600 volunteers per state. Um, you know, I, I think the it, I forget. I forget now. It was. It's not. I don't think it's a one to ten ratio. But the old adage was a manager can handle up to ten different report to. I think ten people. Uh, mm-hmm. It's like seven to ten. I think. Um, so, but I, I, I'm sure it doesn't work out that way for you. In other words, is with you know, let's take you know, let, let, I don't care what state. Let's take a you know, let's take a state that's a medium in size. Uh, I don't know, Illinois. I don't know, Illinois, maybe. Okay. So if you have, and let's, again, I'm sure I didn't, it doesn't break down this way, but if you have 600 volunteers in Illinois, um, how many of those 600 volunteers are, are upper level people who are managing? Is there a ratio that you shoot for? Each of our local communities that have the the leadership body, we call it an advisory council, Uh, but that local community of leaders, uh, we we go for a team of 13 is the Okay, oh, cool. Uh, Some of them, you know, maybe have a couple of empty positions, you know, and and things, so they may have 10, but our target is 13 structured positions Mm -hmm. on that advisory council. And the the state level, it, it tends to be somewhere between seven and 10. Again, depending on the size, the state can add more positions if they have more work to do, but there is a core group of positions that are are required, you know, handling financials, uh, handling donations, you know, there's just certain things you need to do as a nonprofit that we make sure those are covered. Recruitment, coordination, um, communication coordination, and then there's always someone in charge. You know, you got to have a chair. You got somebody who's coordinating and bringing it together. So yes, we have a structure that's put into place. Then when we're actually going into the facilities, let's say it's a prison in Illinois, um, we would have a team and a leader that's been trained there, and they would bring their team together, train them go through it and then go in and, and do the work. And so we, we continue to build volunteers, but we continue to use volunteers over and over again. So you have a lot of experience in doing the work. 
Uh, we're always trying to bring in new people so they gain the experience, but they're always working with experienced people. So it's a, uh, a learn by doing also, and you're doing it with experienced people. So you always have a, um, well, it may not be a formalized mentor. You always have others that's giving you example plus a formal program guideline. So it, it, it's, it's sort of a little bit of all the above as we're putting it together. Um, it's not like everyone that's coming in is new. And even when we start a new location, we will bring experienced people over to help so that we're training the new people on how to um, do that. What do you think, if you had to guess how many volunteers you had 10 years ago, what would you think it would have been? 10,000? 5,000? Um, no, I, I would say 10 years ago, uh, we, we were probably at somewhere in the neighborhood of 20, 22,000. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, so a little bit off the topic, a little bit of, I'm curious that um, strategic partners, are mm-hmm. there organizations that you are partnering with uh, because they they do something that you guys don't and it's a really nice match? You know, like um, when someone gets out of incarceration and they have to you know, find a home to live a place to live, which may not be your specialty. I don't, I don't know, you know, whatever. Right. Is that been a part of your, you know, is that a part of your culture or no? Well, our number one partner today is, is churches because uh. we work with churches to, to, to bring them in um, because that's where we get most of our volunteers. They're in the churches. And so we partner in various ways there. Um, as far as reentry programs and things, um, we, we do partner with them. It's more of an informal partnership uh, because we, we encourage our volunteers if, to, to know who those local groups are around in the counties and in their, their communities and in their state because most reentry programs are, are focused around a, a general geographic basis. Um, there's a few that's statewide. Uh, but most of them are around those facilities. So by default, our local volunteers come to know those local others. So someone comes to us and says, hey, I'm about to get out. I don't really know who to contact. Um, we may be able to say, well, here's a ministry or another entity, or it may not be a ministry. Here's a help group that uh, you might want to reach out to. But I will also say that a lot of the uh, facilities through the chaplains and other other things, they have a lot of those list of people that they're working with or that can um, recommend that you go into there or help of doing that. Each state is very differently structured there. But yes, we definitely want those uh, uh, relationships to do a local partner where we can recommend and help. And so we do it more of an informal, mm. as we know of people will certainly try to advise. We do not do reentry. That is not our specialty. Uh, we don't have housing or any of that. That's a whole different or help get yeah. jobs. That's a whole different specialty than what we're yeah. focused in. But we I, do you know, know lots that do it, so we try to pass them to them. It, you know, it is, this is going to sound nationalistic, and I'm not really that way, to be honest with you, but it's really is an amazing country, isn't it? I mean, mm-hmm. when, you know, the more you dig into it, um, and uh, it's just really amazing the uh, how many people are out there helping other people. We really don't, not everybody knows about it. And I doubt it's going on in Russia. <laughs> I doubt it's going on in a lot of other countries, this infrastructure. Did you know, I learned this the other day and that the nonprofit as an industry is the third biggest industry in the United States. And I was shocked when I heard that. I was like, wow, that's, you know, and I think those of us who have been in it, you know, I've been now involved in the quote unquote nonprofit industry for 12 years now. And I do my own stuff too. But um, as a business, uh, the uh, it's really gotten very professionalized. You know, you, you're finding a lot of consultants, a lot of, 
uh, software, a lot of it's really, you know, and so that leads me into a good question, which I wasn't expecting to have such a great lead in. And that is, I, you know, you usually always ask business leaders, what keeps you up at night? Mm -hmm. Right. And so inside of your business, uh, you know, inside of your nonprofit, what's the number one thing that kind of keeps you up at night? Um, you know, due, due to COVID, I would say right now, just getting access to the, the people we want to serve. Uh -huh. that, that's, that's probably our biggest hurdle, which a lot of nonprofits probably don't have that because you can still access the people you're serving. And, and obviously that's been a little harder for us, but I have to truly say probably in a, in a normal, I've been here 10 years and what I find is truly what keeps me up at night is that, that thought of are we doing enough for us to serve our volunteers to keep them engaged because the importance of our volunteers, they are our ministry. Um, our programs can't be carried out. Our programs is what makes it work from the concept of content, but it's our volunteers that actually make it happen yeah. and, and carries it forward. And, and that, that is um, truly the most critical thing to us. And so that's, that's what keeps me up is um, are we doing enough to know, both bring them in, but to also keep them and keep them engaged in the right ways. Yeah, it must be a real challenge because your your demographic of your volunteers, you just said the age group, um, challenging with Zoom, right? Mm -hmm. um, uh, they 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 definitely want are worried about their own health with regards mm -hmm. to masks and going out. Uh, did you see a? I, I bet you, I think your answer is going to be no. And uh, but did you see a big dip of volunteers not willing to? carry out their um, jobs? Uh, we, we saw, we, we saw a, a, a dip for a little while. It's starting to come back. I think, I think the biggest thing for us was people are like, well, I want to get involved more again when we can actually literally go in the facility and, and be those hands and feet. And, and so we, we've been working really hard on, well, we need to do a lot of things to prepare and, and to bring more volunteers in and things. So we've had a, had a little dip from that standpoint. I don't think it's been too dramatic and we've been able to pull people back. But um, part of it is they just love doing it so much that they want they want to just walk back in and do it. And so it's it's keeping them engaged in the meantime until we could do that. That was a little bit more of the challenge during this time. Yeah. My guess was going to be your purpose is so uh, yeah. driven that it, yeah. they were going to break through a brick wall to continue to do what they were doing. <laughs> I think some of them would if, if yeah. they could figure out how to break through that brick wall, not literally, but figuratively. But yeah, it's, it's, it's true. We, we've, we, and some of our volunteers have been here for years and, uh, you know, they'll, they'll say, well, once, once we can get people engaged, they just love it because they actually see people changing and they they witness that that change not only in themselves but the people that we're serving um because it, it is a powerful program that we have that they're carrying out so it's when you everybody wants to be a part of something bigger than themselves right and when yes. they actually see that happening around them it's hard not to get excited and want to be a part of it Last and, question. I know we're mm -hmm. going to go a little bit over time here, but it's an interesting subject. And that is you're the biggest donators, fundraisers to your organization. Is it the, the volunteers themselves or is it, a, is it, a, is it the States is it the federal government? Where do you get your biggest uh, vol uh, money from? It's individuals themselves. We, we, we do no state or federal funding whatsoever. Uh, cool. uh, so it's, it's truly individuals and churches and foundations, both individual and, and, and public foundations that will fund, uh, fund uh, you know, our, our type of ministry. But by far, it's, it's individuals and families that just have a heart for what we're doing and that uh, give to help support. So it's a lot of... Uh, 
people that are, are known. We have a lot of people who've given to us for years and years. And so keeping them going, um, and churches give to us both as a body and then the individuals will, they'll take up collections and things. So it's a, it's a pretty traditional grouping within the nonprofit of individuals, uh, some entity, some businesses, um, and then, uh, foundations. Cool. But, All right. But by far the individuals are the largest yeah, group. It's great. Good for you. Yeah. Well, that's all the time we have for today. I'd like to thank so very much Evelyn Lemley uh, from Karos. <laughs> oh, I got it right. Uh, Prison Ministry International. It's spelled K-A-I-R-O-S. As Evelyn knows, I've butchered it probably five or six or seven times already. <laughs> so now we have the spelling down uh, for coming on to today's podcast. And if you like today's podcast, please feel free to share it with a friend. And also subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. Um, I love doing the nonprofit MBA podcast. I learned so much. And the people, the guests like Evelyn are just fantastic people. It's just a, really a lot of fun. Um, and I learn a ton. If you like today's podcast, please give us a review on your podcasting app to help us get the word out. Uh, just so you know, those um, podcasting apps use your review uh, to rank uh podcasts and you know we have all five star rankings i'm so proud of it and if you're looking for a line of credit for your nonprofit, you can call us at 862-207-4118 or visit our website at nonprofitmbapodcast.com evelyn if anyone wants to get reach uh reach with you or your organization how would they go about doing that well they can either go online to our website which is coversprisonministry.org or they can give us a call at the office at 407-629-4948. Uh, but they should be able to Google us and find us if they can just spell K-A-I-R-O-S, Kairos. There you they go. Find us. And Evelyn, thanks for so much for coming on today. Thanks for having me, Stephen. And I want to uh, uh, just, I, I always end my episodes this way, and that is I want to thank all those, Evelyn especially, and all those out there, for making the world a better place. Um, we, you know, we all have to do our part. Um, I know our listeners and Evelyn are doing more than their part. Um, I am certainly trying to do uh, my part as well. Every day, just try to do something to make the world a little bit better. You guys are on the front line. Uh, I thank you for what you do. But don't forget that you also need to take a step back and take care of yourselves as well, because you are doing a lot of the heavy lifting. So you need to sometimes take a step back and just take care of yourselves as well. So everybody, the spring is around the corner and I think it's true. COVID is on its way out. So I think this <laughs> summer is going to be a lot better for so many of us. And so if you get a chance, go outside, smell the beginning of the roses and uh, really kind of take good care of yourself. We need you and everybody have a fantastic day.